The world didn't need another hockey podcast. It needed a better one. Bear witness to the two-man forecheck. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Mike. We have a bunch of hockey to talk. There are injuries. There's controversy. There's series updates. The PHF and the PW... uh, HPA uh, are not talking to each other. Um, we have contracts. We have players who may or may not be back. Coaching vacancies. The World Tournament. Uh, player uh, player speculation. And the new commissioner named. Where do we want to go first? About. Uh, it's all over the place today. Uh, As it should be. I mean, the playoffs are. are... Do we want to start with one of the conferences and then do some stories and then the other conference? <sighs> yes, that that's actually because there's some of these things I want to dive into. Like uh, there's a certain coach and, and I don't know if I'm buying the story, but OK. OK, let's dive into the Western Conference stuff and. Uh, oh, boy. We'll try and make sure that it's not 60% of the show. Um, So as it stands right now, uh, when we uh, hit the record button, Colorado Mm -hmm. leads their series two to one. And the Edmonton Calgary series is tied one, one. Um, It is Sunday, the 22nd Uh, Edmonton and Calgary will play tonight, 8 PM Eastern time. And I have some very firm opinions on that. But I think Chris wants to talk about Colorado-St. Louis first. Uh, oh, oh yeah. Oh, no, no, no. Well, first of all, Colorado is clearly the better team anyway when you watch this. And we all know that Colorado is currently ahead two games to one in that series. But my question, I, I just – this is going to become a very entertaining Round because St. Louis I, a little too much complaining. There was a hit in the game, and because it's Nazem Kadri, immediately everyone jumps out of their seat and starts screaming, "Dirty play! Dirty play! Dirty play!" If you if watch the, the video, have, if the players didn't have their num- names or numbers on the jerseys, no one would have even blinked until la- until they zoomed in on a face. Yes. If you watch the play, it is this is a legal hockey play. It's a legal hockey play. And it took both skaters to make it happen the way it did. Rosen, the defenseman. Now, first of all, there's a shot comes in from the side. I I, I missed who actually makes the initial shot for Colorado. Shot comes in from the left side of the net. Bennington makes the save. Puck is loose in front. Kadri doing his job coming down the slot. He's engaged with Rosen, the defenseman. Rosen bumps him as they're going into the goaltender, which puts them both slightly off balance. They both plow into Bennington. Bennington skates off hurt. Sorry to see it happen. Completely legal play. Now, and Denver, go ahead. What's noticeable is if you look at it, yes, Kadri does make contact, upper body contact with 
uh, with Bennington. But he has shifted from going straight full body into Bennington before he went down to moving his hips and therefore the bulk of his weight out to the same side as Rosen is so that he's pulling the majority of his weight away from the core of Bennington's body. If you're trying to run a guy and deliberately hurt him, that's probably not the way to do it. I, I, I don't have a problem with this collision. I don't like the fact that Bennington was hurt, but I don't really have a problem with this collision because it's, it's a hockey play. It's a hockey play. It's a hockey play. Now, the 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 writer Sean Keeler for the Denver Post uh, clearly it, it's the Denver Post got to take it with a little bit of a, a grain of salt because it's in Denver Colorado yeah yeah but when he starts off with if I if the Abs Nazem Kadri truly wanted to hurt Blues goalie Jordan Bennington don't you think he would have done a better job than that um interesting way to start the article. Then turns around and says <clears throat> the hit was legal to the last, an accident, a hockey play, an unfortunate hockey play, but a hockey play nonetheless. Exactly. And then and then he goes on to talk about Craig Berube's comments. And yes, the title of the article calls Craig Berube a clown. <sighs> Callie Rosen was engaged with I just I, I watched this video and I don't see it. But there was another injury earlier in the this playoff. one. I have a much bigger problem with. Oh, yeah. This is we have Sam Gerard is out for the rest of the playoffs uh, with a broken sternum due to the fact that um, Barbashev is a. I'm trying to find made a play that I consider charging. Yes, I watched it live in real time. And if you listen to the show or heard me talk about hockey in person, I genuinely hate, genuinely hate the uh, the slow-mo for collision uh, review because the 60 to one, even 30 to one slow-mo, it's not real. It's a lot. Your brain can't really process that that's not real time. It's legitimately like listening to a one minute, watching a one minute movie trailer. And in like the difference between that and reality is taking a one minute movie trailer and having it suddenly be 60 minutes long. It's just not real. Your brain doesn't function that way unless you've the odds that people are actually going to clearly understand how much time a player had to react to it, not think about it, react, because you can think about something as much as you want, but that doesn't change your body actions. The physical act of moving your body or shifting your weight so that something plays out differently Ah, um, is just different. I don't like this hit. Now, the thing is, Jared Bednar, head coach of Colorado came out and made made a statement that it was a legal hit. Yeah, let me get the quote on it. Looking back on it, I mean, it's a heavy collision. 
uh, although in the article, anyway, he just catches him in a bad spot. But I thought it was a legal check, to be honest with you. He kind of goes in on his head side, but he got a lot of body there. Gerard was turned the wrong way, and he went in awkward, and it was a heavy check. Unfortunate, but to be honest, I think it was a legal check. I don't know if this is Bednar just trying to um, play Switzerland and be neutral and not give locker room material. I mean, he sort of counter—he sort of contradicts himself, saying legal hit, but then you know gets a little bit ahead, but gets a lot of the body. He kind of goes back and forth. I watched this video. I told you I had to take notes before the thing because I didn't want to forget this. But if you watch the video and I watched it, I slowed it down, actually, just because I was trying. Barbashev comes around behind the net, literally pushes off with his right skate, half turns his body, extends his arm and makes contact with the head area of Sam Gerard, putting his head into the glass. So there is a stride. As he turns his body, there is an extension of the there is a raising of the arm to get the elbow up higher. Does he make contact with the shoulder? Yes. But Gerard is a little bit smaller than Barbashev and he makes contact with the head, puts it in his head. This hit outside of the fact that he didn't go right in between the numbers. This hit is the definition of charging. Boarding. Boarding. Uh, rule 41. A boarding penalty shall be imposed on any player who checks or pushes a defensive, a defenseless opponent in such a manner that causes an opponent to hit or impact the boards violently or dangerously. The severity of the penalty is based upon the impact with the boards. Uh, with the uh, Shall be the discretion of the referee. Um, it goes into saying that there's... Um, that the player or that the player must uh, avoid or minimize contact or and ensure that the player isn't really isn't defenseless. Um, there is a determining factor that, you know, the player didn't put themselves into a vulnerable position, but I that this to me, if that's not boarding, I don't know what is. And based on the officiating in this postseason, I'm not sure I know what any penalty is anymore, except possibly high sticking. Maybe. Apparently, uh, apparently, sla- apparently slashing is ill-defined as well. I don't know. Something about just knocking stick. Uh, the players have gotten so used to dropping sticks when somebody comes across them with their own that it, all you got to do is kind of bump their stick. Player drops it. It becomes an automatic two minutes. So, yeah, I don't. Officiating aside, this hit was—I don't know if I want to call it dirty. I might stop just before that. I, I, I just don't I would say like. It's not malicious, but it is a violation because I don't. It's not like he jumped up, drove both knees into the back of the guy's shoulders. Okay, yeah, he and pushed his head into the boards with both hands. But watch. There, just watch there's, the play. There is more to this hit than just, oh, I bumped him into the boards and he hit the wrong way. No, 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 no. Not the way he takes a strike. And it, it's a subtle stride. It's not a complete, but it is a push off, which gives him a little bit of acceleration so that he can twist his body. And then the fact that he raises his arm and makes contact with the, it appears to be the neck head area. Yes, he also makes contact with the shoulder. 
he hit him so hard he knocked his breathe right strip off his nose. <laughs> I feel bad. I'm sorry for Sam Gerard. I mean, he's third in I third in t- average time on ice for their team. It's not like they're losing uh, a bottom si- a, a bottom six defenseman uh, who skates 12 minutes a night. He had 28 points in the regular in 67 regular season games. Third on average ice time, 21 and 21 and a half minutes. He had three points in seven postseason games. So it's not like this is a, a no. And honestly, it shouldn't matter whether it's the the biggest points producer or a guy who's playing you know two minutes a night. No, no I'm not trying to say that like it's hit. Yeah, I'm not trying to say that they took out, you know, Nathan McKinnon. But what I'm saying is that the, 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 for this Colorado, the series. for Colorado, this is more of an impact than one would think. And I don't like the hit. I don't like it at all. So sorry, Jared. I know you're trying to stay neutral or, or control the narrative, but. It was uh, it was not as clean cut legal as you'd like to think. Okay, now that we've covered the injury or that injury, yeah, let's get to the other injury. No, we did cover Kadri. Kadri, Kadri, and Bennington's injury. They haven't said if been how much Bennington is going to miss. I didn't see the injury to be honest with you. I mean, the way they toppled on. On top of the guy who has the most pads on the ice, uh, was it a was it lower body? Was it upper body? It's listed as a lower body injury. They're not saying um, what's going on, or I haven't heard. Maybe maybe as of this morning, there wasn't there wasn't any official diagnosis or anything like that. He skates uh, off under his own power with no assistance. Like he wasn't holding on to people's shoulders or anything. I. I think that I think that if the Kadri Bennington Rowan or Rosen situation, if you if the players' jerseys looked like most baseball jerseys without with with only a number or even with no numbers and just no numbers and no names, no one would have blanked. It was unfortunate, but it was it was a hockey play. Um. As far as the actual series go, I've never been the type to be easily wowed by players. I mean, yeah, Ovechkin's a re- Ovechkin's got a lot of really nice pieces, and I think that like him, dislike him, he's the best goal scorer of all time. Yeah. Period. Connor McDavid. Connor McDavid hit a new level of hockey in the past week and a half than we've ever seen from him before. Connor McDavid is arguably the best forward in the league right now, or was coming into the postseason. Okay. And had been arguably for the past three or four years. And in the last four or five games that he's played, 
it's like tossing any NHL player into like a midgets game. It is gross to watch what he is doing. Defenders who are normally really good at their job, both forwards defending against him and defensemen up against him. They might as well take the shift off. He's going to score anyways. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. It's literally like, my question here is, is it truly Edmonton that's stepping up or is it, is it that? I didn't say anything about Edmonton. I said McDavid. Oh, okay. I mean, McDavid. McDavid has never played this well in the playoffs, period. Period. Okay. Like, not even close. He has played at a better level in the last four games that I have watched than he's ever than he's played in all of his previous play uh, games ever. I just I'm I don't want to say I'm in awe. I have a newfound and greatly deepened respect for his game. Okay. Um and the Flames honestly look a little bit shell-shocked. And this is where I was going with it. Is it really Connor McDavid and Edmonton are suddenly world beaters, or is it the fact that Markstrom seems to be struggling? Markstrom has given up five goals in both games. Mark, well, the thing is Markstrom has always been bad against uh, against Edmonton anyways. Okay. So I think this is a perfect storm for Edmonton to advance um, because at this point they either have to go to they either have to go to their backup or he suddenly has to get over it. That or McDavid needs to be like suspended or injured. There's really those are the only three outcomes I can see. That where Calgary wins the series. I think Calgary has the offensive firepower to keep up with Edmonton. They do. If they start playing like it, they haven't. They scored nine goals in the first game. Yes, and still barely walked out. That was nine to six. I mean, okay, let's put this in <laughs> put, put this in perspective. Yeah. Connor McDavid is now 30 games into his NHL um NHL playoff career. Okay. He has a total of 17 goals, 25 assists, and 42 points. 6 14 and 20 of them have come in the 9 games he's played this year. 14 assists in nine games, six goals in nine games, 16.2 shooting percentage. And the scary thing is Mm -hmm. only four of those points have come on the power play. He's doing it at, he's doing it at even strength. He even has a shorthanded point this off this season. He plays like six tenths of a minute per night of 
shorthanded time. That's I don't know how he did it, but he's got a shorthanded point. I mean, he might have been stepping on uh, as a uh, as the as a penalty expired, or it might have been. I don't know, but this is this is clearly a whole different level. Like in the sixteen seventeen season, he played thirteen games, five goals, four assists, nine points. I respect his talent. I'm just. When it comes to Edmonton, I'm just wondering if it isn't other. There are other things at play here. I mean, Mike Mike there, Smith. Mike Smith has a Mike nine. Smith, he has a nine twenty nine save percentage right now. I, look, I all <sighs> all respect to Mike Smith. He has played fantastically. <laughs> but even Leon Dreisaitl isn't keeping up with Connor McDavid. Dreisaitl has seven, eight, and fifteen. More than respectable points. Evander Kane, seven and seven, three and ten, more than respectable. Yeah. Um, next on the team is Ryan Nugent Hopkins, two, six and eight. Point per game, you really can't complain about it. Zach Hyman is up there at seven points in five games. Uh, even Evan Bou- or nine games, and so is Evan Bouchard. But twenty point. More than two points per game or in the playoffs. It's not trying to take anything away from Connor. I'm just the Oilers issue has always been that they. They've been top heavy and not played useful defense or had a useful goaltender. And I'm still not so. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm still not sold on their defense. I love Darnell Nurse. We talk about him almost every week. But we, there yeah. is more to it than just Connor. And I like Connor. You don't have to sell me on him. You don't have to sell me on what he's doing. And yes, he's having a fabulous playoffs. But what Edmonton is doing is taking more than just Connor right now. This is never Mike said Smith it wasn't. Playing. I said that he's playing at a different level than he's ever played before. Okay, that I can agree with. I mean, when you have a Vander Kane who's at over a point per game, a player that I have been talking about his literally <laughs> his entire career, how phenomenally skilled he is, and he's got half the points, half the points of the guy who probably is leading the league in scoring right now. I haven't actually double checked. I think it's a fairly safe assumption. It probably is. Um, and as I said, unless Calgary can do something or just playing double their scoring when McDavid's not on the ice. As much as I'm a fan of later, I don't see them going to Big Dan anytime soon unless it's a blowout game or something. And, and yeah, I, I, I can't like the the third leading scorer in the league right now is Johnny Goudreau. Okay, thirteen points. In any other year, you would say more than a point per game. Let's get him into the Con Smythe conversation. Or let's start the Con Smythe conversation with the five foot nine, and we're being generous here, 165 <laughs> pounds uh, left wing. 
Let's start okay, the conversation okay. with that guy. The trouble I, with Johnny's he's not scoring. <clears throat> he's he's got I mean he's got eleven assists. Yeah. Right. Two goals and eleven assists. Thirteen points, eleven of them are assists. He's only got two goals. He's not scoring, and that's one of the things they're talking about in Calgary is that they somehow need to light a fire under Johnny and get him to put the puck in the net. He's being covered. He's being smothered when he's out on the ice. Oh yes, and and uh, no need to make an argument as to why. I mean, he, the talent is there. Um, but I mean, looking at the looking at everyone else, unless Jake Ottinger had made it out of the first round or Jordan Binnington comes back. I'm not sure there is a conversation for the Conn Smythe right now. And there's that's as much as I hate having the Conn Smythe come down to points. I mean it So you're you're already you're already giving you're already handing the Conn Smythe to McDavid. I'm not handing it to him yet. I'm saying at this point it's really hard to make an argument for other people. Although I would cheerfully and do jump up and down and say uh, that we should point to the Eastern Conference and talk about Seth Jarvis. Yeah, Seth Jarvis um, had himself a series against Boston, and I'm, we have when we get into the Eastern Conference. But yeah, he had himself a series against Boston. Uh, highly impressive. I mean, there's other things. I mean, you could throw Darcy Kemper into the mix for, and and again, yes, just talking Western Conference. You can throw Darcy Kemper from Colorado, more so than any of their stars. And and I love Kale McCarr, all hail Kale. You know, Darcy Kemper's got a 9.26 save percentage. So even even there, it's not just. Goal scoring, goal scoring, goal scoring. Kemper's making the saves that he has to make. The defense is solid. I, I don't mean, know. Yes. Is Connor the leader in the clubhouse for, for the Conn Smythe? Depends on how far they go. I mean, if you're going to measure it purely against expectations of a player, you can make the case that no one would deserve it more than Casey DeSmith or, assuming, uh, or um, Mike Smith. Because let's be honest, Mike Smith has not been good in recent history. Um, there was no reason to believe that he would come into the playoffs and have a 929 save percentage. <laughs> there just wasn't. Um, well, he's certainly better than their other option. Um, and you can make the argument there, and I would cheerfully embrace that argument. Uh, it's probably, you know, without really going into it, it's probably the best chance that he has for an individual award, uh, in his career. I mean, an NHL all-star all rookie team in 2007. Yeah. Big deal. Played the NHL all-star game in 17 and 18, that's nice. Um, but if he keeps on playing like this compared to a regular season where he had a 915 save percentage and a career 912 yeah. uh, in the regular season um, and postseason, 
I mean, postseason his his numbers are his postseason numbers actually aren't that bad. Um, but he's not he still not doesn't have a lot of them. I mean, we'll not talk about the nineteen twenty experience. Uh <laughs> and but even last year he played with a nine twelve save percentage, which is okay. But he lost all four games. Yeah. Um Uh, let's see. And Colorado, what's the uh, Colorado series, St. Louis series? Well, Colorado's up two games to one. Uh, I don't see St. Louis getting out of this round, to be quite honest. Uh, I didn't see them winning the series myself. But I don't know that they're actually playing like they believe they can win, which is worse. I'm just wondering if Huso can steal them. A game or two. Yeah. He was their stronger goaltender in the regular season. Um, I sort of understand going to Bennington in the playoffs. He won you the Stanley Cup a couple of years ago. Whether you give him credit for it or not, because I'm not sold on he won them a cup. I'm sold on the. He Bruins. played well. Yes. Uh, and he's got playoff. And he's got playoff. Down. And he's got playoff experience compared to Huso. So I understood starting him. That being said, I Huso had the stronger regular season coming into the playoffs. I, I, I imagine for me the choice would have been tougher than to just go straight to Bennington, but. I don't see St. Louis coming out of this. I don't. I don't think they have the weapons no. that Colorado has. And that's and with, and with Darcy Kemper playing out. solid in net. I, I just I don't see it happening. And I mean, they started the series with Krug out, which does a lot on the back end. Krug is a well, he's dynamic power, passer. He's your power play quarterback. He's a dynamic he's passer. Emotionally. He's a, mentally tougher than pretty much everyone in the league. He's in that Patrice Bergeron realm of crazy when it comes to playing through injuries. Yeah. Um, and just taking physical punishment. Uh, I, I don't. And he loves, he loves the fray. He really loves the fray. Um, and that's something that they just, you can't ever have too much of that on a team. Um, I, I, I don't, I don't think this series is going to go six or even seven. I think it's, it's pretty much the Avs series to lose at this point. Yeah. Um, let's dive into the rest of the stories. Um, are we staying in the West or are we going to move around a little bit here? Uh, we're going to move around, but I okay. want to start with Dustin Brown. Dustin. As we all know, his career ended with the L.A. Kings elimination. Um, put up a poll for it. Uh, is Dustin Brown a Hall of Fame player? I think you think most people firmly believe his jersey is going up in L.A., as it probably should. Uh I don't think there's a probably about it, but it was nice of you to say. 
but is he a Hall of Fame player? To me, it's a really tough case, especially when you compare him to some of the other players in that draft. Yes, he won a couple of cups, but... Fair enough. I... I... I don't know. I'm trying to remember if they have first ballot, second ballot. You know, in baseball, it's a big deal. You know, first ballot Hall of Famer. Do you get, if you don't get voted in, do you keep getting opportunities or do they pick a different crop of? I believe it's I think you have like three to five years to get in. It's it's okay. not because I don't think he's I don't think he's first ballot. But depending on who's up for nomination, in a particular year, I think that he could get in, but yeah, it, first ballot, definite getting in. Uh, I don't know that he's there. I mean, the, the one individual award he has is a Mark Messier Award for Leadership, which is a nice award. It, it's it's it speaks to your overall contributions. Um. Yes, he had a 30-goal season back in – 33 goals back in the 07-08 season. But, but beyond that – But for whatever reason, he had the C taken off his chest. I don't know – I don't know what that was. There were there were a couple of leader uh, front office changes in that time period. Okay. And I don't know how much of that was someone wanting to put their stamp on – Things and some of it. Uh, I mean, looking at looking at the results of the poll, I'm actually not surprised. No, neither am I. Probably about what I would have predicted. Sixty percent voted no, forty percent voted yes, and I think that's probably the way his probably the way his voting will go. uh, Should someone should he be nominated? Is there an argument for a jersey in the rafters? I don't know that there's an argument against a jersey in the roster. Exactly. And the rafters. 1,296 games played in an L.A. Kings jersey. And only an L.A. Kings jersey. Um, two Stanley Cups. Uh, and that's that's something that's overlooked in hockey nowadays because they got free agency. People move around. You got guys like Kopitar, guys like Dustin Brown, guys like Getzlaff, Patrice Bergeron, played their whole career in one jersey. You can't undersell that. That, to me, is that's loyalty to the team. That's loyalty to the to the organization. That's loyalty to the fan base. I'm sorry, but to, I understand that, you know, we have free agency now and players want to get paid and I'm not going to begrudge them wanting to make as much as they can because they play for a limited amount of time. But for the players that stay their entire career with one team, that's something special. And I think that has to play a little bit of a role in the putting that jersey up there. Oh, absolutely. And along with the stats, along with his his commitment to the community, along with two Stanley Cups, along with the fact that he was a captain and leader on the team, leader in the clubhouse. 
yeah, you put this guy's jersey in the rafters. I'm sorry. It did. I don't think there's an argument here. <laughs> I mean, I can't find a reason to not put him in into the Hall of Fame or into their uh, into their into you know into the LA Kings Raptors retire his number. Um, it just doesn't make sense to me. I mean, right up to the end, still leading his team in hits and physicality. Because that's the type of player he was. He he put it all out there. Um, I I don't really want to entertain argument because I don't think there is one. <clears throat> this guy's jersey needs to be hanging from the hanging okay. from upstairs. Now, he's number one in games played as of right now. I mean, Kopitar will probably pass him. Uh, next year, but as of his retirement, he's number one in games played. He's number six in goals for the for the franchise, the 54 year old franchise. Um, he's number eight in assists for uh, for the Kings. He's number seven overall uh, for assists. Um, let's see. And let's see if you want some of the advanced stats for point shares. He's number nine for offensive point shares. He's uh, number eight. Um, Adjusted goals created. He's number five. Um, I, I just don't see how you can not uh, put him in the Raptors in L.A. If people have arguments, I'm certainly going to want to see them. Um, I may laugh hysterically at some of them, but... Unfortunately, being part of the golden draft is like you said, the one thing that's going to work against him as far as a hall of fame vote. And if he's, if he's drafted in Oh two or Oh four or Oh six or Oh six. Yeah. If he's drafted other than Oh three, I think that removes part of the argument. I I still, I, I think that still I'd have questions, but because I mean, you look at this. You look at this draft, the O3 draft. Eric Stoll is going in. Yeah. Patrice Bergeron is going in. Yes. Corey Perry is going in. Ryan Getzlaff is going in. They were discussing uh, that on the NHL Network whether Getzlaff was a Hall of Famer. He, I I have trouble coming up with arguments for him not to go in. Mark Andre Fleury is going in. But if you put Getzlaff in then Dustin Brown's argument becomes stronger. It does, but it's that doesn't make it a better argument than his. Okay. Um, both I mean, cap- the, best both argument for, the best argument for Dustin Brown both is captains. that as of retirement, as of retirement, Dustin Brown has played the most games of anyone in the 2003 draft. Yeah. Dustin Brown also has more goals than Getzlaff. Now, what kills him is that Ryan has like 
twice the almost twice the assists. Yeah, you know, so points wise, yes, he's still ahead of, but it, it, he's still three hundred points ahead of 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 Dustin in total points. I just I think that if if you if you're okay putting Ryan in, then you have to be okay with Dustin Brown going. You can't say it's a question. Me personally, I'm okay with him going in. Do oh I yes, I'm okay with it. A, I'm saying argument wise. If argument already, wise, there are good arguments for keeping both of them out. I think that's what they were trying to say on the NHL Network is uh, because I forget who it was. Was it uh, Mike Rupp? Was uh, somebody was like, "Oh yeah, no, he for me, he's definitely a Hall of Famer." It's like, well, if he's definitely a Hall of Famer, then you kind of have to say Dustin Brown's definitely a Hall of Famer. I, I, I think there's questions on both of them. I'm not 100% sold that they should both definitely be. I think that, yes, yeah, second, third ballot, depending on who's who's nominated that year, you could squeak them in. Are they both are they both first ballot Hall of Famers? Eh, that's where I start to get a little the answer hazy. is no. Yeah. But, yeah, you look at some of the guys on this list. I mean, is Shea Weber a Hall of Famer? Unfortunately, never won a Stanley Cup. Um, Dustin Bufflin has screwed. that on the argument again over over both Suter and Bufflin. I mean, over Suter and Weber. Because he did win that Stanley Cup with Chicago. Yeah. Um, but I don't think Bufflin gets in because I think that he I think he cut it short. I think possibly of the guys who you can talk about from this draft. Um, similar to Dustin Brown in terms of what he of making an argument for getting them in okay. versus not getting in based on how they played and their impact on their franchise. Mm-hmm. David Backus. I don't know that he's going to make it in, but I, I think you that. can make a lot of arguments for him. Backus hasn't even hit. Uh, he didn't even hit a thousand games, uh, but I don't know that that's necessarily any more of a good single reason for a player to make it or not make it in well, than I think, winning I think a Stanley Hall, Cup or not. I think I think Hall of Fame criterion shouldn't necessarily be length of games. It should be the impact you had during the games you played. Yes, somebody who plays one season of hockey and has, you know, has a huge impact, uh, you know, okay. You only played one season, but I'm talking about as far as whether a thousand games should be a, a, a barrier or not. Yes. Bacchus ba- to me, Bacchus Brown gets left. They're all in that. Uh, not necessarily first ballot, but if you can get them in on a second or a third, yes. I mean, David Backus left the franchise, the Blues, seventh all-time in games played uh, for the team. Well, actually, he probably left higher than that because Petrangelo stayed after him. Uh, David Perron will likely pass him in the next year or two, um, assuming someone doesn't rip his face off for being himself. I mean. Um, But David Backus is seventh all-time in scoring uh, in goals for the Blues. Um, 
Well, if you're going to put ninth ninth all-time in points. Well, if you're going to put Bacchus Brown and Getzlaff in, then you definitely have to put in Lee Stemniak. Sorry. (laughs) Well, Lee Stemniak's agent should probably go in, but most times conning uh, the same (laughs) general manager and deciding it. I mean, the, the guy's a half point per game player in the regular 469 points in 911 games. And he had 377 pims. I mean, um, it, it's not like he it's not like he shied away from contact. I'm not going to sit there saying he searched it out, but no. Um, let's see. And also for the uh, Blues, Bacchus is fifth all time in penalty minutes. Okay. Uh, so yeah, local arguments for or against him, and I don't really want to talk to people who uh, who want to make arguments against him in Blues Land. Um. March yeah. 20. No. <laughs> I, I, Those yeah. are people who probably saw him in his last two or three years playing, and not at his peak when he was a genuine force uh, of nature. I just think anytime you talk about O three 3 draft, the three letters HOF definitely come into play. Like you can, you, you'll be able to create a hall of fame wing <laughs> for the 2003 draft. Like it's in a way it's scary. I don't know that we're ever going to see this again, but let's no, you, jump no, on. you're not not going to see it again. But that that's another argument for another time. Uh, Rick Bonus stepped down as head coach of the Dallas Stars following the season yeah, and the questions. expiration of his contract. I'm not surprised in any way that there's a parting here. I wasn't aware that his contract was expired, but. There's so much going on with that franchise that really just can't result in winning. I mean, when you look at their best paid players and compare it to the order in which people are producing points, yeah, there's the overlap isn't what it should be. Yeah, I'm still, I'm still not sold on the voluntarily part, but okay. Look, I I genuinely think if Rick Bonus wants to coach in the NHL next year, he'll probably have a job. Given my less than stellar regard for the <coughs> stars of the stars, um, the I don't I'm not sure I'd want to coach that team. Period. I I, I get. Him. Uh, The direction that they're going, uh, you've got Joe Pavelski, who had a career year this year at 37. A career year at 37, yeah. In any other sport, you're going to end up getting some tests. Career year for for Pavelski. You had the young guy. You had Rope Hintz showed up. You had the young guy show up. I'm not sure what direction they had. I mean, the quote from bonus after careful consideration with my wife, Judy, we feel it's best to step away and allow the organization to pursue a different direction at the head coaching position. 
I'd like to thank all the passionate fans and dedicated staff for their support and hard work in my time here. It's been an honor for me and my family to represent the stars in the city of Dallas. Uh, it sounds, dare I say, canned. I just, I don't know that this is all bonus. See, I, I, Larry Trotz is available. I suspect he was offered a position, offered an extension, Mm -hmm. but it may have been like a one year and not necessarily an increase in salary. Um, but look at the, I mean, look at, Look at that team's final scores, uh, scoring for the regular season. Pavelski, 81 points in 82 games. Ridiculous. <laughs> Jason Robertson, 79 points in 74 games. Ridiculous. Rupe Hintz, 72 points, including 37 goals in 80 games. Ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And then you get to their two highest, you get to one of their two highest paid players. Yeah. Tyler Sagan, 49 points. 49 points in 81 games, Ouch. averaging 17.49 a night. Klingberg, I don't know what's going on there. Not that he had terrible numbers. Um, 47 points uh, and 74 games for defensemen. So point, he actually had more points per game than Sagan. Jamie Benn, other of their two highest paid players, 46 points in 82 games. Um, under 0.6 points per game, 1645. This is your captain. You can't even crack the top five as with that sort of salary for points. You don't break 20 goals. You don't hit 40 assists. Um, most of your production comes on over a third, about a third of your production comes on the power play. Um, that's terrifying. Well, the the thing with bonus is that he may, you know, he makes the statement that, you know, after careful consideration, that, I mean, just a couple of days prior, he makes, he, he, he says, it's tough to walk out of that rink losing in overtime in game seven, but it also shows you that, yeah, I'm an old man, but still lots of fire left in me. And then he turns around and makes a statement where he says, after careful consideration, we've decided to step away and let the organizer. No, I, I, I'm just I'm not buying the whole. The, the organization no, had something. Actually, that, I think from his statement. I genuinely think from his statement, he's casting aspersions at Sagan and Ben. I genuinely think that was a direct criticism of those two players. Not not nibbling around the edge. I think that was shots fired and, you know, target acquired shots fired. Those two are making 22, nearly 23 percent. No, 20, almost 24 percent of the cap hit for for the Dallas Stars. And they're fourth and sixth in scoring on the team. Who? Sagan and Ben? Yeah. But yet, their top line was a 37-year-old, Joe Pavelski. An old guy, yep. An old guy. And, oh, wait. Rope Hints and Jason Robertson. 
that was your top line. But yet it, your money is all tied up in these other two guys. <laughs> Where I, was their production? <laughs> I genuinely think that, as I said, I think this is a shot across the bow of those two. I think that at some point, I think at some point, you know, there was a discussion. How do we improve the team? And I want to say that Bonus said that, you know, at some point you have to move Sagan or Ben. He's not wrong, but I don't know how you're going to do it. They have huge contracts that run forever and no movement clauses. They, they, I, it, it's just it, it, to me, it's baffling. I think that I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying 100% bonus was let go, but I'm not. Uh, I'm I definitely don't think not they sold on the future of the club. Is I'm definitely not sold on 100%. He decided that he, he was done either. I think Barry Trotz's name is floating around out there. There's a lot of good coaches out there right now, and like Babcock. Um, <laughs> you've got Joel I thought he was coaching in got, college. Wait a minute. <laughs> you've got Joel Quenville. You've got Barry Trotz. You've got Claude Julian. Quenville's. Um, I think it's going to be a couple of years before you see Quenville behind a bench again. See, is my they, uh, there's a couple after, of articles that make that point. After what happened in Chicago, I don't see he, he here's. Here's the, here's the thing, though, with – and they talk about the same thing, him and Babcock having baggage. Yeah. Here's the, here's the difference for me. Mike Babcock actively betrayed the trust of a player, embarrassed him in the locker room on purpose. Yeah. Joel Quenville, according to the investigation, I wasn't there – Failed to do something that he should have done. I don't see that as as serious event an offense. I, I just don't. Now the the thing that he failed to report, and I don't know the exact words that were used because uh, when when things were reported to him, yeah. Um, you know if he was. Uh, I don't know if he was told this guy's creepy or if the details came out. If it was the details came out, yeah, he probably doesn't need to be in a position of responsibility again. I thought from he, everything uh, that we were from everything that we've seen or I've seen in various articles, he was told that there, the guy was problematic or uh, that there was an incident that needed to be reported. And, I can't put as much blame on or responsibility on his shoulders for that. I just can't. Um, that yeah. said, I also think that Quenville is a better coach than than Babcock, and I think he's probably better than uh, than Trotz too. And the other guy still floating around out there is um, 
is our favorite is our favorite soundbite producing machine. John Tortorella. Uh, I want to see him back behind a bench somewhere. Philly. Where? Send him to Philly. I thought that's what you said, and I'm. I don't know if the players are ready for him. <laughs> he would definitely be a change from their last coaches. Oh, definitely a change from. And I Evie. genuinely think that the people in Philly would enjoy him. Oh, the people in Philly would. Yeah, you, you need a, you need some place that's thick skinned. Yeah, that that much is for certain. You need some place. That's thick was skin never going to work in Vancouver, and everyone, I think everyone else knew it. But I, like, I think he'd be, per, I think he'd be as close to perfect as you're going to find in Philly. Uh, it, it'd be an interesting, it, I can see it. I can definitely see it. Thick skinned. Thick skinned and prone and just a just a city where people are prone to speaking their minds. Their minds without without much of a filter. Uh they're not the squishy Southern California or basically the entire West Coast. <laughs> Fair enough. But I definitely want to see Torts back behind a bench. I is Barry Trotz not that good a coach? You're saying Barry Trotz isn't as good a coach as Quenville? Yes. Okay. I'm not saying it's a huge gap, and I think that there's, I think that it pro, that there's still the question of chemistry between coach and team. Quenville is a little bit sterner than Barry Trotz. Barry Trotz is definitely more of a player's coach. Um, so, yeah, it does come down to balancing the team and the room and the coach. Um, and the rest of the coaching staff plays into it. I mean, if you have, if you have, you know, if you give Barry Trotz, uh, oh God, who was that? Who was that coach the first year Char was here? I blanked him out of my head. The first year Charo was here? Yeah. Cassidy, Julian. No. Well, Julian. It, it wasn't Uncle Dave. Uncle Dave. You give him an Uncle Dave assistant. Was it Uncle coach. Dave? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Charo was in town a long time. <laughs> Dave Lewis was not like two or three softer. Dave, Dave Lewis was not built for Boston. He wouldn't have been. He wouldn't have survived in Philly either. I don't think he was built to be an NHL head coach. Uh, he, West Coast, maybe. Oh, the which game, is where he came, which is where he came from, because I believe he was with the Kings organization. Uh no, he Dave Lewis was with the was with Detroit for a while before as an assistant before. Oh yes. Okay. Detroit. Yeah. 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 
because they were they they were going to the playoffs. Yeah, that's why they figured. Well, you know, he's part of the pedigree of of winning, so we'll bring him in. And yeah, assistant coach Uncle Dave, yes. Head coach, no. <laughs> Just no. <laughs> so, all right. So we got bonus. We got uh, what else we got here? No other coaches going on. No other coaching going on. Uh, Ryan McDonough. And why are we highlighting Ryan McDonough this week? I noticed um, that you wanted Ryan me to McDonough get. McDonough is one of those people who, if I were going to add an award to the NHL's postseason, and okay. I'm not sure it's a positive award, uh, but definitely an award. Um, for playing through injuries detrimental to their long-term health. Mm-hmm. I would name it the Patrice Bergeron Award and probably have to retroactively give one to Ryan McDonough. Um, back in the 07 Eastern Conference Finals, McDonough went into the series with a fractured foot from Game 4, uh, bl- a shot block, and then... Uh, later in the series, it flat out broke, like full clean break, uh, one leg, you know, Mike Rupp talks about it. Ryan Callahan talks about it. Okay. Um, and let's see. And he's the, this is an article from, from the athletic. And he's apparently uh, Mike, uh, Ryan McDonough has become the all-time shots blo- uh, block shots leader in NHL playoff history. That's apparently, a terrifying. Apparently, broke that record on Tuesday. Uh, career block shots in the playoffs. He had he, at the time 386. That was Tuesday. And that's just the ones that get counted. Yeah, it's you probably add five percent to that. Easily. I just say that stat along with hits is very subjective. I mean, I would say minimally you can add five percent to that. Um, that's a lot, a lot of bruises, a lot, a lot of impacts, and this is a guy who just doesn't get enough credit for his contributions. I would say that in a couple of the years that he's been in Tampa Bay, he has actually been the best defenseman on the team. And we both like Hedman a lot. Uh, yeah. Uh, Ryan, McDonough, Ryan McDonough is in a lot of ways the Brian Rust of Tampa Bay or where – he does a lot of the important work, but still manages to get overshadowed. Uh, did you did you read the athletic article? Uh, I mean, the players know who he is. I read through it, uh, but go ahead. What did you see? No, just the the, the one thing I did, there's obviously a lot of things I don't know about Ryan McDonough, but the whole football thing, and he's a three sport. He's a three sport. Star. Yeah. And he loved playing football. He was a safety. Safeties love to hit. Mm-hmm. And he comes right out and says, 
I love the physicality, the strategy behind it, the commitment. That's about uh, uh, football. Apparently, his uncle is Steve Walsh, the NFL quarterback. Um, okay. Which I also didn't know. I mean, he's not afraid. I guess this all ties into the fact that he's not afraid to sacrifice his body. The whole blocking shots thing suddenly becomes more understandable when you look at the fact that he's played other sports and the fact that he really loves the football and he loves the playing and the, loves to play football. You've got football in his in in his family bloodline. You know, he's not a huge guy either. He's six one two fourteen. Like, if you walk down the street, most parts of the, like, walk down the streets of Boston, you're not even going to notice him. Unless you know who he is, or he's flat out wearing his jersey, you're probably not going to notice him. Um, I don't think, I'll flat out say Lightning don't win those two cups in a row without him. And it says that in the article as well. So without him, it becomes more of a struggle. I I don't know if I can go all the way and say that without him, they don't win them. I think that it becomes a bit, I think it becomes quite a bit tougher. See the the shot the block shots are one thing, but like uh, like a lot of defensive defensemen who are not big points producers, he is really good at exit passes and smart exit passes that turn into zone entries, and there's not a sufficiently good measurement of that uh, at this point, and I don't know how you would calculate that sort of advanced stat. Um, I would love to have I would love to have one of the advanced stats sites on the show someday and talk about that in particular. Um, but his uh, the, all, a lot of his block shots turn into him making passes out of the zone that lead to offense. Um, obviously, in a lot of those cases, it's two to three passes later, so he might not get an assist on it. But that's I don't I still don't think it can be discounted. Um just one of those guys who doesn't get enough credit in the league. I enjoy watching him play. Um oh. but we have a ton of other stuff to cover still before we jump into the Eastern Conference series and we're getting uh and we're getting a little heavy on time. Um Philip Forsberg. Oh goodness. UFA uh, Bleacher Report has an updated article on okay. potential landing spots, and those include Flames, Jackets, Devils, and Preds. Philip Forsberg next to Nico Heischer. How do you feel about that? Um, I think that it gets Forsberg a lot of goals. Because I think Heeshear is a stronger distributor than he is a goal scorer himself. Yep. So uh, could it be good for for Philip? Yeah, I think so. And that's uh, is that is that enough to do, to move the needle in New Jersey though? 
Now that's that's the big question because you have him. The other question is maybe you put him next to Hughes. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's an interesting thought moving him to to New Jersey, but um, and do you make a do you make a super heavyweight line and put him and Brat with either Heisher or Hughes? And just run people over with that line. Is New Jersey willing to? I guess the other question is: Is New Jersey willing to open up the purse strings like they did with uh, Dougie last year? Or yeah, last year, nine million dollars a year. Well, Subban's nine million comes off. He's a he's a UFA. There's not much chance he's going to get another nine million dollar contract. I think he'll probably end up around four and a half uh, going forward. So they should have cap space. Um, and he sure and Hughes are already signed long term. Um, okay, so if you play so if you play the chess piece game like as this, one should. Like the if you if you play if you play the, the chess game like this article does and, and it, it is an interesting thought. Does Calgary let Gaudreau walk? Gaudreau goes and signs with New Jersey, which is where he's from. Calgary picks up Forsberg and puts him on a line with Elias Lindholm or. I mean, that sounds like a lot of fun for Calgary fans (laughs) Uh, because Forsberg is a different type of scorer than Goudreau. He's not nearly as small. Um, I don't think neither one of them is going to be confused for Milan Lucic or anything. No. Um, Or even Blake Coleman's brand of physicality. Um, But I think that the priority in the priority in Calgary has to be either re-signing has to be re-signing Kachuk before anyone makes him, but throws an offer sheet in his face. Gaudreau's going, I think Gaudreau is going to get more money than Forsberg. I so you so Gaudreau leaves. New Jersey has the cash if they're if 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 Subban's contract yes. is if Subban's contract is a they'll be able to afford Gaudreau. Good bad good or bad for New Jersey. It's good for having the hometown boy come home. But that's that's I mean that's an extra. Do they need do they need another? smallish winger. I, I mean, I don't remember how big he sure is. Is Jesper Bratt. He doesn't look big on, on, on the ice. None of their forwards are all that big. I mean, uh, yeah, that's my point. But Calgary brings in Philip Forsberg, puts him on a line with Windholm was not small with Matthew Kachuk because letting, because you got to sign Kachuk. So you you have your top line now of of Lindholm centering Kachuk and Forsberg. Um, that sounds like a fun line. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I I I have a hard time complaining about that. I I, I could see I could see Brad Treliving trying to play that out. Um, 
see, I they they get, they list the Islanders. I think the Islanders probably should go for, if not a rebuild, then a certainly a strong retooling. I I just don't get that how team. Fast, got, how fast the Islanders fell? What's it been? Two years and they crashed and burned. But they never had any depth to begin with. They really didn't. Well, then then that argument plays into Barry Trotz's hands as far as look how good of a coaching job I did with a team that was uh, aggressively met. We we made it to the to the second round of the playoffs on smoke and mirrors. Yes, they did. Because this is what I was able to do with a whole bunch of meh, like you said. So that plays into Barry Trotz's argument as far as when he goes to get another job. I I don't see Forsberg going to the Islanders. It doesn't make sense to me. No, I wouldn't want to go there as a player right now. Um, and I, I I still think it's probably, for me, it comes down to those three teams, the Devils, the Flames, and the Predators, unless there's like a serious shakeup in some other team, you know, the Island or the Rangers, the Bruins, or even Vancouver decides to make a big personality change or personnel change and move out two or three players. Um, but they also but, talk about Columbus. I don't yeah. think, I, I, I don't think Columbus is, I mean, it's interesting that they're in the art in, in included in the story, but I don't know that Columbus is at the right stage. They were really bring. close to a playoff spot. I mean, they were closer than most people expected. Certainly okay. more than closer than I was expected. I mean, they did just they did just give Corpusalo a one year extension. Not I, I I don't know if they're trying to protect Elvis and okay we're gonna bring Corpusalo back for one more year because we don't want to see him go somewhere else and be a starter. But I I don't know that it says there and it says here. Fifty-four and a half million invested in fifteen players, so the Blue Jackets are well positioned to make a competitive bid. Okay, so they could pay him, but does he work in that in that scheme? I don't that, know. I don't. I think really he does. don't know. I didn't watch a lot of Jackets hockey this season. I just didn't. No, I, think I didn't. When they played just, good teams, like when they played Boston and New York, or reasonable teams that they played well, reasonably well. But I also think they spent a decent percentage of the season either dinged up or playing down to some of the base bottom feeders, which is which is a habit that can take a long time to break. It's like saying uh, I'd love to see. It's like saying I'd love to see him on the Bruins, but they don't have a place for him because he's a top. He's a, he's considered a top line guy. You could slide him in on the second line, but I don't know if he'd. He's not taking no. Brad's spot, so he's not taking Brad's spot, and. I don't know if he works well enough with whoever they have for number two to and play. There's another problem is we don't know who number two is. And God, um, if you're going to tell me it's how I, I'm, I'm mm. that's a, we'll, we'll save that for the off season. Oh yeah. Um, Michaela Grant Mentis has, uh, added another, added another, um, way in which she will be, a hockey trivia, a hockey trivia answer. Uh, the Brampton, uh, former Brampton 
the 23-year-old from Brampton who plays for the Buffalo Buttes, uh, first player in PHF history to hit the 80,000 per year mark. Um, and that does, uh, and there's even a 10% uh, bonus clause to that richest deal in women's hockey history. Um, she's talking about how two years ago I was making five K a year. Um, this is, this is a big deal, particularly, you know, if you live in a less, less expensive part of the country, uh, I want to say it's there's still a big gap between that and what NHL players make. Yes. But the NHL has been around 100 years and has TV deals for every team and TV deals for the league. Um, well, they did just I mean, they. They did just uh, have the their collective bargaining agreement and they expanded on salaries and yes the fact that she is getting paid eighty thousand dollars to play hockey it it doesn't sound like a lot but it's a huge deal it's a huge deal i mean by comparison the median household income in buffalo new york in 2019 latest numbers i've been able to find was just over forty thousand dollars um so that's is it is it what most software engineers make? Is it what most baseball players make? No. Is it a big, big jump from, as she said, two years ago, she was making 5,000 a year. This year, her bonus is a 30% higher or bonus potential is 30% higher than her former salary. That's a great sign. And congratulations to her and the league for pushing that growth. Um, now, we didn't get a chance to talk about it earlier, but the PHF um, and the Professional Women's Hockey Players Association, which were associated with the Canadian Women's Hockey League uh, a few years back, yeah, um, had had been in talks to work together and suddenly sort of well, well was the whole, we did discuss the PW the PWHPA actually trying to start up their own league. And uh, they are. Because they had but their teams had weird names and they were all local sponsorship names. But yes. they had been in talks to work together. Um and those talks burnt out. Um ah, and it's unfortunate, but I'm not surprised because this is basically just an extension of the former rivalry with with the um, with the between the Canadian League and the American League, and I don't know that this is going to be resolved until one until one side or the other fails. Like this is it's early in their perspective lives, but this is NBA, A, ABA, AFL or AFL, NFL sort of rivalry where yeah. because of the differences in the way they approach building the league, I don't. I don't see a resolution until one clearly has 
all the cards. Um, the NHL that, has. I think that the PA had stronger contact with the PH, uh, the PWHPA. Yeah, and has sponsored some. They had the NHL was. Um, the NHL had hosted some games between uh, the former between the PA, uh, PHPA teams last year, which I think is only fomenting the rivalry. Honestly, yeah. Um, and I think that I think that as much as I want the NHL to. As much as I want the NHL ownership to get involved and help grow women's hockey, I also think that they should probably stay out of it until there's a clear winner. Yes, those are contradic- slightly contradictory positions. No, it, no, it, can, it it makes sense. I think that I think that NHL assistance in growth, like the NBA's assistance with the WNBA, I think that it is at some point necessary just because the NHL has the the visibility they they've got their contract with 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 the Paul Letter Network. They, I, I think that they they need to help to grow the game. They're the big brother, whatever you want to call them. I think they need to help grow the game. That being said, the fact that there is an AFL NFL type rivalry between the PHWPA, the PWHPA and the PHF and I think that one of the other articles that we have will go in a small way to helping that unification because they've got a replacement for Tyler Tuminia as the commissioner. Absolutely. So they've Uh, now got a point. They've now got a point person again, at least somebody who face to the face to the league that can sit down and they can hammer this out. And yes, once they get it hammered out and and maybe get the unification done, the pro- part of the problem is that the fact that the, the the PWHPA has teams in some cities where the PHF has teams, and and I don't PHF know that, has, I don't know that I don't know that at their size they're ready for multiple teams in the same market. Uh, and- at the size of the fan base and revenue stream for women's hockey, two teams in the same markets probably aren't going to work. Um, particularly where they're not playing primetime nights and in big venues. Um, I. That being said, if the that being and 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 I guess now I'm turning the wheel again, but if the NHL has already helped out with sponsorship or whatever with the PWHPA can they be the mediator the go between can they in some way assist in the unification having familiarity with both sides I don't know because I if I'm on the PHF side and I think the argument that the PHF has a managed to keep in operations longer because the Canadian league ceased to exist in the spring of 2019. Um, and that's yeah, before COVID. Um, 
and the PHF has not only continued to exist, but pushed salaries up, is going to be having health care for the players. Um, I think that today the PHF's argument for being the more viable choice is noticeably stronger. Okay. Um, the PA, uh, the P W H P A's argument is that their, their long-term is that their, their model is more financially viable long-term. They don't have a league yet. And it, call me a weirdo, but I, I, I don't a, think until you play. Well, first of all, they're a players' association. They're not an an actual hockey league. Well, the thing is, is the the PA owns the league, the the teams, which oh, okay. is an interesting model. Yeah. Um, but until you actually play a season, have a championship, I don't know that you have a league. You have an idea. I don't know that you have a league and that's, that's a big, that's a big deal. Um, Just real quick mentioning the new commissioner in the PHF. Her name is Reagan. Her name is Reagan Carey. And like many other women who have played hockey, they didn't have a women's hockey team or a girls hockey team. So they played on the boys team and they had to get ready in the, in, in the bathroom. And, and so she's been through all of that, but she also has a lot of leadership experience. She's been with the NBA, the NHL, USA she, hockey. She was with USA hockey from 2010 until 2018 as director and general manager of the women's national teams. I mean, so she has a clue as to what's going on here. She and also guessing spoke she to knows Tyler Tamina uh, before before taking the job. Um, and I like the fact that she doesn't actually when asked if what the um, priority number one is for her first season, that yeah. she doesn't have an answer because she's still gathering data. Like, thank you. Well, <laughs> I was going to say, how could you have? How do you pinpoint priority number one? Uh, I don't know. I'm still trying to figure everything out. There's like 40 million things to take care of. Let me let me sit down and figure out what priority one is based on the information I've gathered. <laughs> I mean, not to not to make too light of it, but I mean, she's just been appointed to the job. Has she even found her office yet? <laughs> well, there's a good question. Yeah. Priority number one. I need to figure out where I actually go to work every day. <laughs> Um, priority number. Wait, wait. Priority number one: finding the restroom. Uh finding the coffee. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. I knew. See, we hammered it out. We figured it out. There you go. There we go. Where's the coffee uh, machine? Where's the break room? <laughs> all solved. Um, but realistically, I like. <laughs> I like a lot of that, um, and there's reasons for it. But um, a couple of other uh, stories before we wrap up with the Eastern Conference. Yeah. Ryan Rust has signed a contract that I'm sort of shocked at. Yeah, I'm not understanding this about. This is one of those contracts that's very team friendly. Um, five point one two five million across uh, six years. 
He is 30 today. Um, he'll be obviously six years older when it expires. Um, so he this will actually carry him into uh, professional into professional sports old age. Um, yeah, well, he'll be a 35 plus when 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 he next signs a contract, most likely. I I wasn't. I mean, I've always liked Brian Rust. But in the past three seasons, apparently he's been in the top five, uh, 55 uh, for points, which is a pretty impressive thing, uh, given that there's probably eight or nine hundred skaters who take part in the NHL each year. Um, no, it's not being in the top 10 or the top five, but quite frankly, without the rest of those score, the rest of those guys, you're not making it to the playoffs, period. You can have the number one and the number two scorer in the league, but if the rest of your guys are all in the 80s and or 90s in the league. I think if I had to pinpoint an issue that I had with Brian Rust, I mean, this is a guy who gives effort every night. He plays on their penalty. He plays on their, on their penalty kill. He plays, uh, I think he plays second unit your- power play. I don't, my issue, yes, there you go. His durability. He has not played more than 72 games in a season. And if you're looking at it, he's only averaging, say, 65-ish games a year. So I, I think that that might have played into the amount. But that the same probably time, does play into the amount of his, his contract. His and there's pre- also no uh, – there are no uh, movement clauses attached to it, so – in what, theory. Changed, what changed about his game? I mean, aside from the whole pause and, uh, you know, the whole pandemic thing, because the last couple of years, his points production has <clears throat> increased. Um, I think part of that is just being healthier. Uh, I mean, 60 games out of the 82 this year isn't necessarily a great start, but he, he played plays 56 out of 60. What is it? 60 games that were played in the league last year. Yeah, it, it wasn't a full season. I thought it was right around 56. He might have played all 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 games last year. Yeah, and it was right around out of 56. The 70, or, I think, that were played the year before. That was the year of the the pause. Yeah. Which yeah, most teams pause somewhere around 68, 60, 68, 70, somewhere in there. So yeah, his last couple of seasons have been definitely stronger. Yeah, kinder. Um, 35 points in 79 playoff games, not terrible. A little bit less than half point per game. I, I, I just I, like the fact that if he's on the ice, he's showing up. And it, yes, he's, you're going to notice him and his effort, period. Agreed. Eastern Conference playoffs. Uh-huh. Carolina still putting it together over the over the Rangers. I thought the Rangers were going to. What are they down? Two games to none at this point in time. If I'm Carolina, not mistaken. Yeah, Carolina is up two nothing. Um, but it's been a more even series. I mean, I expected. I think I expected Carolina to win, and they. I want to see how Carolina does on the road in this series because if they don't win 
at least one of these games in New York. I have a hard time thinking that even if they beat New York, that they're going to go any further because Tampa and Florida are both monsters. And and that's why I that's why I jumped into Carolina, New York first, because I'm I'm a little baffled at what's going on in Florida. So, oh, I, I will get to that. And I think you're I think that Florida fans are going to hate me for saying it, but we'll get to awesome. that in a second. Uh, the Rangers, though, as much as as much as you want to talk about how good Carolina has been, and they have, have the Rangers actually looked like the Rangers of the previous round? No. And, that's... and it's not just because Carolina is fast and aggressive, because I don't think that Carolina has hit top gear in this series. No, but you mentioned one of the you mentioned one of the reasons they had success, uh, like and like I said against uh, that guy Seth Jarvis. Seth Jarvis is was bonkers in the first round. Yeah, like he, I probably heard his name more than Sebastian Ajo's or any any other Carolina player. Um, you know if you. It would be nearly ridiculous and not, if not unprecedented, than a very short list uh, of players who have won uh, the Conn Smythe as a rookie. Mm -hmm. But I'm willing to make the argument that if he continues this level of play into the Stanley Cup finals, assuming that Carolina makes it that way, that yeah, he should be on your short list of no more than six or eight players at that point, um, who should who should be getting votes. Because you look at the tops, you look at the scoring uh, points totals for uh, league leaders uh, for all players. Mm-hmm. Do, do you see anyone else from Carolina leading the general points total? Because I don't. I don't. Um, but there is yeah. one guy on. There is one guy in Carolina that they still won't talk about. And we talked about Con Smythe trophies in the Western Conference. There's one guy in Carolina that still not getting the notice, and that's Auntie Ranta. The guy's got a 9.39 save percentage. And that's and, that's. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I mentioned it before we talked about it. If Freddie comes back, do you start Fred? I don't think you start Freddie, and I will keep saying it. Auntie Ranta is cruising right now. You do not take him out. I don't care if Freddie Anderson comes back and, and, and buys his way. No, Freddie, sit. <laughs> Enjoy the view. Anytime right now, for game four. Uh, or even Game Five in the in the series against Boston, I would have argued against you. But man, has like if if you're talking about performance versus expectations, yeah, Anti Ranta, Anti Ranta is way up there on the list of players. I mean, he got his first NHL playoff start this year. Yes, at. 33 years old. Um, I mean, he's played, he's coming in relief a couple of times in the past for the Rangers. 
and for uh, the uh, for the uh, now uh, vagabond dogs. <laughs> the the the, and I'm not saying it to be mean. The homeless coyotes, yeah. Um, although I don't think they're homeless yet. And did you a 9.39 save percentage is utterly bonkers. 1.83 goals against. Eight <clears> game, <throat> sure it's eight games, but I mean his highest save percentage in a season is actually comparable number of games. Twelve starts, fourteen games played. Uh, back in 14-15 for Chicago, where he had a 9.36 in the regular season. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about postseason where you're playing the same team every time and they know your tendencies by the third game. We're talking postseason. Um, that I think Carolina might burp up a game in three or four in games three or four because yeah, the Rangers are that good. They they deserve to be in the second round, um, so I'm not going to call it a sweep. I could be wrong, but no. I don't feel it. Now, this is where the Panthers fans are probably going to uh, come after me, and so what? Bring your pitchforks and your right. and your tar and feathers and your flaming torches. Don't care. Please tell me you're going to say that Tampa Bay is going to beat Florida. The reason that Florida is not doing better in this series, mm-hmm. collectively, not individually, collectively, they're happy to be there. They have, I'm not even going to call it victory disease, but they have a hangover. That emotional hangover from winning the first, winning a playoff series for almost as long as the oldest players on the team have been alive. Uh, for that franchise. It was the 90s the last time that franchise won. Well, they won, a, they won a Stanley Cup. Or the Florida Panthers? Or they, they played for a Stanley Cup. They played for a Stanley Cup. But yeah. the last time that team won a Stanley, uh, won a playoff <laughs> round, <laughs> well, was like 90, 96, 98, I forget which it was. John Van Beesbrook was their goaltender. <laughs> the former um, Ranger. Sam Reinhart wasn't alive. Well, yeah, Mark Hall wasn't alive. Huberdeau was still uh, in diapers. Uh, Sam Bennett wasn't alive. So uh, Florida just... Duclair was not alive. Uh, Carter Verhage was not alive. Um, Aaron Ekblad, not alive. Brandon Montour and Mackenzie Weger, Mackenzie Weger, who made a terrible play that they just roasted him for uh, See, in and the. Here, and here I was going to try and simplify it and say that they just can't put the puck in the net because they've only scored no, two no, goals no. in the two games. It, it, it's not just not putting the puck in the net. They've made some bad decisions uh, in their own end. Uh, I was going to say, which you can't uh, do against Tampa. Starts with starts with Sergei, Sergei Bobrovsky as your number one. I don't know. Got a 906 save percentage. I'm sorry. He, he, uh, he's I, not. I hate to say it, but a lot goals. of ways. Yeah, there's. I think the team had to learn to win in the playoffs before they can start hating losing. 
And okay. while I think that while the president's trophy proves that they're really good in the long haul if they have their heads on straight, they don't have their heads on right now. And that's you can't win against average postseason competition when that's true. The Tampa Bay Lightning are not average competition. And the Tampa Bay Lightning at this point, up against either of the two teams likely to come out of the West, which at this point are Edmonton and Colorado. Does Tampa Bay beat Colorado? I don't think so. Those those are series where if the over-under is anything under seven, you need to take the over. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't you know. I don't know. Darcy Kemper is playing a really good net, and Vasilevsky is remarkably human this season. I mean, he's got a 915 save percentage, but he seems remarkably human in net this year. And Darcy Kemper, for the first time in his career, is actually uh, uh, being allowed to showcase what he can do in net when he has an actual uh, decent team in front of him. Uh, Is are you at all concerned with the fact that some guy you or I have never heard of is actually leading goals for the Lightning? Which one? Ross Colton is the no, leader. No, I heard the, of him. For the, he scored really? their cup-winning goal last year. Okay. But that said, no, he probably should not be uh, their, Wiz, their cup Wiz their point leader. Where's Kucherov? Where's Stamco? Where's Stamco? Where's Braden Point? Where's... It, Ross Colton is your goal scoring leader. Yeah, but you can make the same case in in Colorado. I mean, in yeah, the playoffs, I'm not in Colorado, in Carolina. In the playoffs, top lines and top defensive bearings tend to cancel each other out. Yeah. So, so do I expect to see more from Kucherov and Stamkos this round? Yes. Um, I, but in the I, first I, round, they they had competition, not necessarily think, great competition. I think the, the yeah, the deal is that Toronto pushed them and I think kind of woke them up a little bit. Yeah. Um, and that, boys and girls, is where we will leave you. Um, don't forget to check out the World Hockey Tournament going on. Um, Team USA is currently four and two. Um, Canada and lost to Sweden. I was, was going to say for the no, 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 not Sweden. No, 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 not Sweden. Switzerland. Switzerland. I apologize. Nico Hischier, JT Sigenthaler, uh, Timo Meyer, and it was a six-three drubbing. So just saying, for Ouch. those of you who are not big fans of Canada hockey, they they took a little bit of a beating the other day. They did take it on the chin. Uh, From we also, Switzerland. We also had that pull up. Does Jeremy Swayman seizing the net in the series uh, mean Ulmark will be moved by the NHL Bruins this offseason? Wow. 57% said yes. Um, wow. I'm kind of surprised by that. Knowing Sweenius and, uh, and Neely as we do, I think that the voters got it wrong this time. Uh, That's why I'm surprised by the I, I think that if you look at it, yeah, and, and you got to first of all, you got to find somebody that's willing to take on Almark and his five million. That's number one. And I, I think that you still need enough. You still need a strong backup, and I don't know that there's one in the system or cheaply available on the ops on the uh, 
no. this offseason. We can discuss it next week, but if you're going to tell me that Kyle Kaiser can be back up to Swayman, then why the hell didn't you keep Vladar in the first place? Just saying. And that's yeah, where I'm that's, ending. That's a conversation <laughs> all by itself. Yep. Uh, ladies, gentlemen, undeclareds and undecided, hockey fans of all ages, have a great week. We'll be back. Hit us up on Twitter. You know how to find us. Take care. Enjoy the playoffs.